And you can never control what assumptions a reader is bringing to yeah. your writing. You just, yes. you've got to send it out and hope for the best. I know for other podcasts, I have definitely sent things in and then I'm like, but are there, like, they're, they'll have some like very United States specific, like cultural references. And I'm like, well, I hope there are people from the United States on the editing team this month. No one's going to get this, but oh well, it's, I like it. So I'm sending it out it's and going. hope it's for the best. <laughs> Welcome to the latest in this, the fifth series of the Haiku P podcast. I'm Patricia, and it's our birthday. According to Google, the average lifespan of a podcast is 178 days. And you know what? We've been going for 1,825 days. And last time I checked, we were in the top 5% in both Spotify and Apple podcasts. Given that I'm a small, independent podcaster, that's a real success story. But I have to thank my lovely team and you, my lovely listener, for your support. Without you, the podcast wouldn't exist. And here's a birthday request from Poetry B. If you tweet, use Facebook or Instagram, do let people know about us. Let's show the big names in podcast production what can happen if you have a wonderful community around you and are passionate about what you do? Thank you so much. So what are we up to today? Well, I had a lovely Zoom call with CX Turner, or Lucy, as you're going to know her in this podcast, Richard Tice, Alison Whipple, and Ravi Kiran. They came along to give their nominations for the judge's choice in this episode. And this is the episode where we hear your haiku and senryu, which have achieved some depth. Thanks to Joshua Gage for giving us the workshop which inspired this episode. Thanks too to the editing team, Liam, Ron, Robert, Vendana and Lorraine, who worked really hard this time. I mean, they always work hard, but this time they worked really hard. As you know, this lovely community of poets is located all over the place. We're a worldwide group. And our team of editors cover a great deal of the globe. So we had to help each other out with some of the cultural references. And Google had some traffic from us too. We're going to have a little chat about that in our judging panel. Should we be writing Haiku or Senryu, which sends us off to Google? Does it detract from our experience or enrich it? I wonder what you'll think. You'll find out what our judges think in a wee while, but do let me know your opinions. As usual, we'll hear which poems Linda Ludwig, our YouTube editor, has chosen from September's prompt. October's prompt is now up, and you have until the end of the month to add your poems to the comments section to qualify for potential inclusion in the Poetry P Journal and, of course, our podcast. This feature is proving very popular. Thank you, thank you for supporting it. Do tell your friends. If you've not subscribed to our YouTube channel, do please check it out. It's totally free. And let's face it, you don't get too many things free of charge these days, do you? Thank you, Linda, for all your hard work. In November and December, Poetry P will be putting out podcasts, but we won't be taking submissions. We're having a little break. 
They start again in the new year, 2023, if you're coming to the party late. Do check the submission pages for that year. It's not up yet, but will be soon. If you're signed up for the Poetry P mailing, you will get an email telling you what submissions we're expecting. Have you had a listen to our other podcast, Poetry P Readings? As always, it's available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. The latest was Carla Ramesh, and it really took off. Viewers, listeners have been loving it. Don't miss it. And the good news is that there'll be another one out soon, also with Carla. And speaking of our output, we have a terrific workshop out in audio and on YouTube from Sean O'Connor on the writing of Hybun. It definitely got me writing. I hope it'll do the same for you. As I said, if you're signed up to the mailing, you'll get to know about the bonus episode from Sean. It's not going to be available to everyone. More of that in my mails. Thanks to Carla and Sean for their time and their charming workshops, readings and conversation. But before I go on to our original poetry, I've got a great job. I'd like to congratulate Lorraine A. Padden. As you know, she's a treasured member of our team here. And she received a third place tie in the American Haiku Awards in memory of Harold G. Henderson with this monocou. Empty Vase, the last of the baby's breath. She also got an honourable mention in the Haiku Society of America Senri Awards in memory of Gerald Brady. And I noticed that one of our own, the lovely Joshua Sinclair, received a first place in that competition. Congrats, Joshua. All the links are in the show notes, so you can go and have a read yourself. But going back to Lorraine, she's also recently had a book of haiku, senryu, tanka and paibun published. It's called Upwelling. Details are in the show notes, and I hope Lorraine will come along and read to us next year in the Poetry P readings. Now, let's start our original poetry with Linda's choices from our video prompt. Lanterns set aloft, the lifelong practice of letting go. Kim Clue Fishing for the moon, they cast their nets into a puddle. Marilyn Ward Westward wind, a brief spark in the darkness. Keith Everts A little piece of moon in everyone. Sky lanterns. Wendy Ghent My first wish to fly. Paper lanterns. Chitaluri Satyanarayana Great work, everyone. And thanks again to Linda. If you'd like to join Linda editing our YouTube prompt, do please let me know. Just email me. So, shall we hear the poetry you wrote to incorporate the vertical and horizontal axes? Sounds dry, doesn't it? But wait until you hear what everyone's written. And we'll start 
with a nomination for the judge's choice from Ravi Kiran. Ravi, welcome to P Towers on this very rainy day in Zurich. How are things with you? I'm doing good and things are absolutely wonderful. It's a Saturday night for us, just past 10 in the night, but uh, this has been something that I've been looking forward to and I'm so glad I'm here. I'm glad you're here and I know you're coming back, so thank you very much for doing that for us. So tell us, which of the poems did you choose and why? The poem that I have chosen is by Ian Spee, Enso's clean, strong brushstrokes spread out in 10 directions. Enso's clean, strong brushstrokes spread out in 10 directions. The very first word, a personal favorite was what first drew me to this haiku. As I read it multiple times, two perspectives started shaping up in my mind. I approached both these perspectives with the same question, what is Enso? Any haiku poet would instinctively say that Enso is a Zen circle. Over time, the simple image of calligraphy has become the icon of all things Zen. This image of a simple circle drawn with a single broad brush stroke is a symbol of infinity and represents the infinite void, the no thing, the perfect meditative state and satori, enlightenment. The most striking observation was that the second word in line two, strokes, is in plural form and not singular. The addition of the single alphabet S set me thinking. Enso is supposed to be a single brush stroke, but the poet is talking about possibly 10. This was pointing to an ideal and also the struggle to attain it. Perhaps the calligraphy student is a novice who is struggling to accomplish the perfect circular stroke. Once the ideal is achieved over time, the student will realize that she is where she started, which is what Zen is all about. On the vertical axis, as with many pursuits in life, we do not succeed at the first attempt. Patience and persistence take us closer to the ideal. For the second perspective, I asked myself the same question again. What is Enso? This time, the answer was something totally different. It is an acronym that stands for El Nino Southern Oscillation or the swinging pattern between El Nino and La Nina, the two weather extremes. Despite the advances in technology, there is only so much that we can do to predict weather patterns and still little to control the effects. Between storms, floods and drought, these effects can go in 10 different directions to quote the poet. Structurally, this haiku appears to be a single sentence. However, on closer examination, there's a subtle natural cut at the end of line two, which clearly separates the phrase and the fragment. Ian's haiku has depth, breadth, and many different delightful interpretations, making it a worthy interest choice. Thank you. Ravi, thank you for that analysis. I studied geography a very long time ago at university. And so my first reading of it went to the geographical. You were right in what you said, and I'll take it maybe a step further. Reading and writing haiku are pursuits in life that it's worth being patient with. And in my case, enlightenment or the creation of something worthwhile don't really happen in the first attempt. Um, So thank you very much for giving us that analysis, Ravi. 
My pleasure. And I'd like to make the most of having you here and ask you to read the poem that I chose for the podcast. One of the poems that I chose for the, for the Poetry P Journal. There is another arguably more special one in the journal. But for now, let's hear your poem in your voice, please. Below the harbour waters, forgotten birds. Below the harbour waters, forgotten birds. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Ravi. Missing advertisement. He resembles my estranged son. Ram Chandran. The old pot a frog jumps in, boiling slowly. Paul Chapman. Neighbours pond. Today I'd like to be Basho's frog, Colette Kern. Frog sound, remembering the first time, Doris Lynch. I hope you've enjoyed that little selection of poems that allude back to that famous poem by Basho. I have some more famous allusions later in the podcast. Hope you enjoyed those too. Show, don't tell. Lavish wedding hides empty pockets. Krista Pandy. Pale clouded yellow, the unknown names on our family grave. Katie Moore. Bombed home. Chopin's last notes linger in the wind. Nina Singh. Water drifts under thin ice, the surgeon's blue eyes. Robert Whitmer. Between the poppies in Flanders fields, gas and trench foot. Kim Russell. Autumn sun cracks through the clouds on desk 45. Comic mask, tragic mask. James Crotsman. I didn't know what the Desk 45 alluded to, but I looked it up. Very interesting story. Temple bells, flowers at Buddha's feet, scented sunrise. Catherine E. Winnick. Looking through the glass into our living room, wild rabbit. Norman Silver. Late to the party, crossing my path, White Rabbit. Tina Mori. An old bookshop of all the places to find a stairway to heaven. Wendy Ghent. A feather drifts from the eagle's wing. She flies on unfazed. Cynthia Green. Endless stairs, waking up again to his cries. Kimberly Kucher. Full English, 
lines of deck chairs stirring with the wind. Dorothy Burrows. Dorothy, this took me back to Brighton in my youth. Lines and lines of deck chairs. Some of them stirring with the wind. Sitting on the dock of the bay, Juneteenth. Sarah Paris. Now, let me just interrupt the poetry for a moment for something very important. I'd like to thank everybody who has supported the podcast by buying us a coffee or making a donation via PayPal. You know I don't charge for the show notes in the first month, but if you'd like, you can leave a donation towards our work. No worries if you can't. Last month, these lovely people made a donation, one way or another. David Oates, Malcolm Ganderton, Steve Barr, Lisa, Linda Ludwig, Tony Williams, Jerome Berglund, Kimberly Kucher, Susan Andrews, Alison Douglas-Turner, Michael Winter, Jason Furtak, and Ronald Degler. And of course, there were a few listeners who remain anonymous. Thank you, all of you, for helping me save for my intern. So now, back to our delicious poetry. Hello, darkness. My old friend ghosted me. Kim Clue. Pondering the return of normalcy. Waiting for Godot. Douglas J. Lanzo. Berlin Wall. The transience of an erection. Keith Everts. Crumbling wall, a broken promise in the rubble. Kenneth Slaughter. Leaving Canterbury, my boots fill with blood. Adele Evershed. Old men with their coal tattoos, coughing. James Young. Her reflection paints a different story. Vanity cubed. Bonnie J. Shearer. Hiroshima. Under the Sakura. Fallen memories. Mona Betty. Every book I read, I step through a paper wardrobe. Jenny Shepherd. Taxi cab chat. Ducks in Central Park migrate for winter. Rob McKinnon. The answer is blowing. Wind turbines. Susan Andrews. Pilgrims and tourists at the Turin Cathedral. Doubt in line with faith. Natalia Kuznetsova Letting go, a white feather flutters away. Daniela Miso So beautifully does she redden. Japanese maple. 
Luke Levi War Museum Pin Drop Silence in the Gun Room Lakshmi Ayer Widow's Moon A Film of Dust Shrouds the Karma Sutra Mira Raim Diwali Her Muruku begins to look like the Milky Way Minal Sarosh Potemkin Village So carefully adjusted his wig Samo Kreutz now, next, we have a nomination from Lucy, a.k.a. C.X. Turner. Lucy, thanks so much for joining us today at Poetry Tell us, did you enjoy reading all the chosen submissions? There were quite a few. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. There were a lot to get through, and I enjoyed every single one, to be honest. But it did take a while. <laughs> <laughs> it does take a little while. You're, you're quite right. I think we got it down to about 130, but they are an excellent 130, as you said. So tell us. After all that reading, which one did you eventually decide upon? Okay, it was a difficult choice, but um, I chose John Hawkhead's poem, Painting on Our Masks, Festival of the Dead, We All Attend. Painting on Our Masks, Festival of the Dead, We All Attend. And so why? Why did it catch your attention? Okay, this poem caught my attention from the first line, Painting on Our Masks. There are a multitude of ways someone may paint on a mask. They may do so metaphorically with certain people, such as in a professional capacity, behaving in a certain way, in some situations, such as attending a celebration event like a wedding, when certain costume and behaviours are expected, and at different times in their lives. It could be said that the rich mask-wearing practices of people around the globe testify to an intrinsic human need for transformations, spiritual, emotional and social, that has existed over millennia. The second line deepens the context of this poem with the festival of the dead. What I like is that we don't know the specific festival the poet had in mind, if any, and it opens it up to different cultural interpretations, as festivals of the dead are held by many cultures throughout the world in honour or recognition of deceased members of the community, generally occurring after the harvests from August to November. My mind immediately went to the Mexican Fiesta de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead, held over two days, November the 1st and 2nd, in which people of all ages have their faces artfully painted to resemble skulls. The idea of painting your face or wearing a skull mask to represent a deceased loved one, to dance in their honour or to keep the spirits close. Other cultural references include Obon, the Japanese Buddhist festival, and the Chinese Qingming Festival, also known as the Tomb Sweeping Day. Uh, and the seasonal aspect of this haiku comes in depending on which festival of the dead features in your interpretation. So for me, the phrase in the third line, we all attend, packs a real punch. It transports my mind to wider philosophical thoughts about the fact that we all die at some point, but also makes me think about other interpretations. The poet could be alluding to a specific festival that they are all attending as a family, grieving the loss of a loved one, or celebrating the life of that person. It could be attending as part of a collective grieving and honouring of the dead. It could be alluding to the fact that we are all painting on a mask of some sort throughout our lives, 
And this is no more true than when we die. For underneath us all, we are all the same. Lucy, thank you very much for telling us your thought processes about that poem. So many ways we can interpret it. I love it when that happens. I should have mentioned this earlier, but the judges are not allowed to choose any of their own or their fellow judges' work, which is a shame, but it would look a bit weird, wouldn't it? But to make up for that, Lucy, can I ask you to read one of the poems that were chosen from your submission this time? And remember, Lucy's nom de plume is C.X. Turner. Lucy, your poem in your voice. Words blur, fading into the margins of another time. Words blur, fading into the margins of another time. That's lovely. Thank you very much, Lucy. Spring flirtation, a playful breeze lifts my skirt. Annie Wilson. Brackish mood, waiting for the black-necked stilts to lift me up. Bruce H. Feingold. Village gossipers, a row of swallows on the line. Paul Callas. His tiny feet crawling, Krishna at home. Amulya Kamalnath. Red brick road, but still hoping for a wizard. Kerry J. Heckman To pee or not to pee, her asleep in my arms. Jeff M. Pope Haycorns and Heffalumps, the little red book that opens to my childhood. Alison Douglas Turner Adjust the weights on the scales again. Soul-searching. B.A. France. Rising sun. A long, slow inhale. Ikebana. Linda L. Ludwig. Songbird seller. His pitch for a sale, prize-winning. A.J. Anwar Almost a Christmas without tears, river ice Tyler McIntosh Bipolar meltdown, searching for lithium to stem the tides Petro C.K. Simple innocence transforms to complex chaos, Milton found. Richard Bailey Summer breeze, a bee holds on to the swaying daffodil, Anne Alexander. At the window, the blue moon and I, still standing, alone. Laurie Kiefer. Laurie, I just want to sing after that one. I wonder if anyone else feels that way. Endangered species, 
Our Struggles as Minorities Belugas et moi Sandra Saint-Lauren Gone with the wind, an ageing bachelor chases his toupee. Andrew Murkowski Walking barefoot, dead wife's fingernail clipping in the carpet. David Oates Walking after midnight, every trace of you erased by surf. Kristen Lindquist Well, hello again, Richard. So lovely to have you back at Poetry P, and thank you for all you do for the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> Enjoying being here. Thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to have you. Now, I do know which of the poems you've chosen, but would you like to tell our lovely listeners which one it is? Yeah, Haiku by Joshua St. Clair, Afternoon Tea. We share a land of milk and honey. Afternoon tea, we share a land of milk and honey. This deceptively simple send you resonated with me deeply, even though I have seldom participated in an afternoon tea. I imagine a middle-aged or elderly couple, or perhaps a small gathering of friends sharing a moment of daily respite. The tea, probably served with a light refreshment, itself seems secondary to the sharing. On an obvious, rather superficial level, at least one or more of the group like milk and honey and their tea. However, the phrase, a land of milk and honey, gives tremendous weight to this time of sharing. In a biblical context, a land of milk and honey is a, is a description of the land of Canaan which was promised to the children of Israel after their exodus from Egypt and after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. That promised land had to be fought for and won against nations mightier than the Israelites. By extension, that phrase now refers to any promised land or area that has been struggled for and won. And the promise of milk and honey suggests ease, rest, and safety in that land. When I read this poem, I visualize a couple who has carved out a time of rest for themselves every day, a break from vicissitudes, a safe place that they have earned. I don't know the struggles they've had, but the battle has not been easy. The land has a more open interpretation. It could range from the space they've made for themselves at tea time to a more literal land that they have escaped to from a more perilous land and life, perhaps his refugees who have found a safe haven. So I find myself a bit envious for the we have made something warm and safe for themselves that I don't have. I should mention the marvelous sounds in this poem. The assonance consists of open long vowels with a single tight vowel in milk and the unaccented vowels in uh and and. This assonance serves to slow down and lengthen the reading and suggests the leisureliness of the tea time and sharing. The poem also has internal and end rhymes, not obtrusive. The we carries an image forward 
from uh, T in line one to line two. Honey is what is called a feminine rhyme with T, the unaccented syllable in honey rhyming with the accented syllable T. Rhyme can destroy a haiku, but the rhyme here almost slips by unnoticed because the rhyme is unaccented. Even unnoticed though, it serves to pair tea with the phrase milk and honey. But afternoon tea, we share a land of milk and honey. Yeah, Richard, it's really interesting how we go about choosing these poems. Initially, I was surprised that you chose this one of Joshua's because he's again has got another quality piece chosen this month, which of course mm -hmm. you can read in the journal. But having listened to your explanation now, I understand. Thank you very much. Now, Richard, you too had some excellent poems chosen this month. I wonder, would you read one of them for us? Gravel Garden, an acolyte raking waves, walks on waves. Gravel Garden, an acolyte raking waves, walks on waves. Wonderful. Love it. Thank you very much, Richard. Grandma's last laugh. She leaves the black sheep a runcible spoon. Tracy Davidson. Dewdrops clinging to the window pane. Casual love affair. Sylvia Lowe. Beach bottles. We don't get the message. Burke Anderson Trying for a baby Under my window Physilis ripen Malgozata Formanowska Plastic flowers The scent of dust Seth Chronic Base camp, beside a river of stars, Grand Canyon, Charles Harmon. Winter storm, a refrain of Hail Mary on the metal roof. Eve Castle. Click of red shoes returns her to Kansas. Her choice, Jan Stretch. Land of Polo, no one minds the dead pony by the roadside. Milan Rajkumar. Raid at dawn on an eagle's wings, national security. Richard L. Matter. World Trade Center, Hemingway's Lost Generation, Ronald K. Craig. Freshly cut sawdust, this old mind races pinewood derby cars, Christopher Pays. Strutting and fretting, my chickens don't care about Shakespeare. Lorraine A. Padden. 
Taking a Chance, The Long and Winding Road to Heartbreak. Bona M. Santos. Palo Verde's trees, burst of yellow flowers, nothing gold can stay. Veronica Hosking. No one to talk to about old times, oak ghouls falling. Deborah A. Bennett. Macy's Day Parade. Santa and the Easter Bunny. Liberty's Float. Jerome Berglund. Leaves beneath us. Ashes to ashes. Jessica Hindrich. Starry Night, Laughing at Stories of Power Failures Laurelin Aravelo Laurelin, perhaps over here in Europe, we're going to experience just that this winter. I hope we'll be able to laugh. Where blue touches the yellow, sunflower fields, so still. Sangita Kalarikal Lens in the bedroom. You are watching Big Brother. It's 13 o'clock. John Holder Alison, welcome back to the podcast. It doesn't seem like five minutes since you were here last. Thanks very much for coming back and doing this. And uh, I know you were far too busy to, to send us any poems this month, but... Tell us, which one of these submissions did you choose and why? I chose Ivanka Edinger's haiku. Sir, I exist. Homeless man's new sign goes unnoticed. Sir, I exist. Homeless man's new sign goes unnoticed. In this poem, Ivanka Edinger draws on a 19th century source text to make a comment on the continued social injustice that carries into the present moment. The first line of this haiku comes from the second line of Stephen Crane's short poem, A Man Said to the Universe, which I will read. A man said to the universe. A man said to the universe, sir, I exist. However, replied the universe, that fact has not created in me a sense of obligation. Stephen Crane, who lived from 1871 to 1900. Ivanka takes the assertion of existence and this time, rather than it being shouted to the universe, it is written on a homeless man's sign. The word new in the second line is important. Perhaps the man has found some fresh, high quality cardboard in a recycling bin. Perhaps he's scraped together some cash for a fresh set of markers. Imagine bright ink standing out bold, not faded by the sun or smeared by the rain. The man is doing everything possible to draw attention to himself and his plight. However, it doesn't work. People walk by without paying attention. To some, the homeless man is truly invisible. They are too focused on their daily lives to notice someone down on their luck right in front of them. Others are willfully ignorant. 
whether they are uncomfortable confronting the reality of homelessness or they are callous and unwilling to help, they deliberately avert their gaze, avoiding the humanity sitting on the curb or standing at a traffic intersection, doing what they can to get by. The universe has no obligation to humanity, whether at the collective or individual level. Ivanka's haiku also calls attention to the fact that humans do not feel a sense of obligation to their most vulnerable. We certainly feel a sense of duty to our families and to close friends, but when it comes to anonymous strangers who are struggling in ways we cannot fathom, they're on their own. Writing this as a citizen of the United States, I have to say that what little social safety net we do have to support those struggling with poverty or disability is a deeply flawed and broken system. Even those who are trying to enact genuine change are often blocked by bureaucracy or the limits of established structures. In three lines, Ivanka Edinger has created a haiku that both alludes to the American poetic tradition and also draws attention to ongoing issues worthy of attention. Thank you. Thank you, Alison. I'm really pleased that you drew our attention to the poem by Stephen Crane as well, because I don't think everybody will have got that. So thank you very much for, for reading that to us. It's a deeply moving piece of work. Thank you. Now, as I said before, you didn't have time to submit to the podcast, but you did come up with a really interesting question to put to us. And I thought maybe we'd have a little chat about that. I think the essence of your question was, should we be writing Haiku or Senryu, which sends us off to Google? Does it dis detract from our experience or does it enrich it? Have I got that more or less right, Alison? Yeah, and I think certainly with this topic, it would you'd be hard pressed not to. When I read Ivanka's Haiku, I was like, oh, I, the first line, I'm like, I know that from somewhere. I couldn't remember the Stephen Crane poem. I had to go look it up. Um, you know, I hadn't read it since high school. Uh, <laughs> so um, I feel like it was inevitable that we were all going to have to look stuff up for, for this. You know, I don't know that anyone would have deliberately written anything like, ha ha ha, I'm going to trick all these people and make them go look stuff up. I don't think that's uh, how it happens. I think with a topic focused on depth, it's just going to have to send you to Google at some point. Reading for this topic, this was the most I've had to go look things up. I think I had to look up the references and like, 25% of the haiku. Oh, wow. Uh, you just, you can't know everything. Or, you know, again, it's, I knew this poem from long ago, but I didn't remember it. But that didn't detract because then I would go back to the poem and it would be a richer experience the second time around. And I was glad I'd done it. But I also know that not everyone agrees with that opinion. No, this is, this is true. Ravi, have you got anything to, to add to that? Yes, I think I've been thinking ever since Alison mentioned it. And I think there are two reasons why, uh, you know, a poet kind of makes it difficult for the reader to get what he's saying, which kind of necessitates the need to uh, look it up in Google. Now, the first reason is basically to uh, enhance the quality of the pro uh, poem. But then when that happens, is it just that one word that is getting out? sticking out and is, is just that the one that is grabbing the attention or is it like salt adding to the overall flavor and enriching the overall experience of the uh, haiku or send you now if it is a second it's something i'd be glad to you know appreciate that i said hey look i learned something new today and then i i read a brilliant haiku this is why but then uh, that you, you could really add some fancy sounding words just just to make that word stick off and then try to kind of grab the attention of the 
reader by just that one word then i think that that's that showmanship which i would personally find it very uh, attractive so those are my thoughts no i i think i agree with you there when it's when it really sticks out if something sticks out like a sore thumb i think we probably have to rethink and think are we being just that bit too clever because haiku aren't meant to be really clever pieces of work are they they're, they're meant to be accessible richard what about you I'm I'm grateful for the internet. <laughs> it's enabled, uh, I think, uh, haiku writers to write uh, wi- more widely about their own experiences uh, in their country and their language, without uh, worrying about a reader rejecting it because of ignorance. Mm. I think it's taken away our excuse to be lazy readers. So, and then. Uh, on this particular uh, set of poems, I had expected to use the internet quite a bit, but actually I didn't use it very much. In that sense, I was rather pleased with myself <laughs> that I had enough background to recognize a lot of things. Mm-hmm. When we did that uh, section on uh, place names in haiku, mm-hmm. and I read that one, I had to look up the things on the internet maybe 80 to 100 times. Yeah. It was laborious, but it made me appreciate not only the haiku, enriched them in my reading, but uh, taught me a lot about uh, other places, especially uh, celebrations and holidays and religious observances in India, So, which had remained a big blank in my life. So I think uh, I'm glad for the internet. I think it helps us be better readers and it helps us write more wide-ranging haiku and send you that we don't have to worry about people rejecting because we have no idea what we're talking about. Lucy, what thoughts from you? Um, Yeah, I I think it depends on how much time I've got. I think if if I've got enough time, then I really enjoy looking on the internet and looking if there's certain words that I'm not sure about or I think I understand it but I want to just you know broaden my understanding of it then I like nothing better than to spend time doing that but I don't always have the time so I think sometimes I will skip over ones which is terrible but if I don't if I see one I think I don't know what that means I'll skip over it but then it comes it plays on my mind a little bit so I want to go back to it and I think yeah I, I need to understand what that was about I think the initial impression that I get of a haiku is something that sort of stand out for me so if it it has that initial impression I understand it at first read then great but I also enjoy being able to not understand something at first glance and go and sort of look into it in in more depth so I think there's a I appreciate both really. We have to get the craft right first we have to make Mm. a poem that grabs people's attention one way or another and then we're willing to go back and make the effort to to go and look at something yeah. even if we don't have time to do, do it immediately I mean that I think that's my take that if you've got a good poem nobody would mind going back and, and looking at looking up why what the reference are, references are but I don't like haiku which is just being too clever and I, I would probably pass that one by because it's not I don't don't regard that as as good work or I could just be ignorant. That could be the other way. Alison, last word to you. What, what are you thinking? But I think if you have a sense that, you know, there's something out there that you where you can look it up, figure it out. 
I usually think it's worth it taking the risk because you never know when just taking, if you have two minutes, taking two minutes to look something up when that's going to just create a much richer experience for you. Yes. Yes, you're right. I found this time particularly that this time the editing team really had to work hard communicating with one another with the references from all over the place that they might not get um, and that that was really very very interesting so and I, and I learned a great deal about many different cultures just by doing this podcast so it was good and Alison thank you very much for your analysis and for your your question uh, which I'm sure we're going to come back to again Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I think Allison makes a good point. I didn't okay. look up Sir I Exist, mm-hmm. uh, but I did not associate it with Stephen Crane's poem, which I kind of know. I, I That made me think of Pascal's treatise on existence. Uh-huh. And that's that's what uh, I thought the vertical reference, uh, you know, the vertical axis was. And so... I'm glad Allison added that and did the research for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it saves me some time, but uh, I'm not sure that I had a mistaken reference. Mm-hmm. But sometimes our own assumptions uh, can interfere with uh, an accurate reading of something. And you can never control what assumptions a reader is bringing to yeah. your writing. You just... Mm-hmm. Yes. You've got to send it out and hope for the best. I know for other podcasts, I have definitely sent things in and then I'm like, but are there like, they're, they'll have some like very United States specific, like cultural references. And I'm like, well, I hope there are people from the United States on the editing team this month. No one's going to get this, but oh, well, it's, I like it. So I'm sending it out it's and going. hoping for the best. <laughs> Thank you, Alison. Thank you very much. And so with that, the podcast is nearly at the end. The judges and I just have have to have a conversation about who's going to be the judge's choice and which ones are going to be the honourable mentions. And I think you can gather it's going to be quite a task. So I have to say thank you to the judges and give them an opportunity at this point to say goodbye before we go off and have our little discussion. So goodbye, judges. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. I wonder what you thought. Do email me and let me know. But I have a couple of jobs for you to do this time, if you have the time. Do subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss out on any of our presentations. And sign up for our emails. Same thing, you might miss out on something interesting and there are some new developments at P-Towers coming soon. Be one of the first to find out what they are. So, with a thank you to everyone who's helped me out this time, I'm signing off and going for a bike ride. Until we meet again, keep writing. If there's anything I've missed, or I've messed something up, which as we know is quite possible, do message me and let me know. Ciao!